Well, I recently realized that I am super dependent on something, and it's not coffee. <laughs> but with this time change recently, that actually could probably be debatable. But I realized that I'm super dependent on something. I use it at least once a day. To be honest, I sometimes I use it two times. The other day, I realized I use it four times. And that sounds funny. I, you're probably thinking, she's not talking about the toilet, is she? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm talking about the GPS system on my phone. I honestly, I don't know what I would do without it, especially these days, because we recently just moved. So the entire time that Kel and I have lived in Orange County, we've always been in Laguna Niguel, and we just recently moved to Mission Viejo. So completely new territory, all these big cross streets and unfamiliar roads that we're taking, new paths to parks we're taking our kids to, new routes to friends' houses. So I'm using my GPS system a lot. I'm also using it probably more than I usually would because I'm trying to get my house in order, and so I've been all over Facebook Marketplace, which is a great way to get to know your community and even some of the people in it. But all this use of the GPS has really got me thinking just like how profound and complex a GPS system is. I mean, think about it. In the matter of seconds, all I have to do is input my destination, and then there's this whole algorithm and system on the back end that tells me exactly how to get there, and it even gives me an estimated time of arrival. It's amazing. All I have to do is click on that red, or I'm sorry, that green button on my phone that says go, click it, and I am all in. I am fully committed and reliant on my GPS and the route that it has planned to get me to my destination. And while you might not trust in your GPS in the same way I do, because of course we know that our GPS can fail us, there is a GPS that we know won't. And when you became a Christian, you, in a sense, you hit go. You hit that green button, you press go, and you turned away from doing things your way, and you put your full faith and trust in doing things God's way, in taking the path that he has planned for you to get to your final destination. At that moment that you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit and his word were dispatched into your life, and it leads you every step of the way. And in our passage this week, in Exodus 13, we see something similar with the Israelites, right? We see that God was faithful to lead them out of Egypt, and now he has clicked go in taking them on the path that he has planned to get them to the promised land. And all they have to do is follow his lead. That's all they simply have to do is follow his lead. So let's turn together to our passage. We're in Exodus 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22. Exodus 13, 17 through 22. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So we see that God clearly had a different route for them that was not the shortest route. 
It says in verse 17 that the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, that's not the route he took them on. That was the most popular route to get from Egypt to Canaan. It was the coastal route that had a lot of foot traffic because there was trade. But God knew, as it says in verse 18, lest the people change their minds when they see war in return to Egypt. So he knew that if they encountered war, if they saw that, they would be tempted to go back. And you might be thinking, why would they want to go back? Look what they were just delivered out from. But God knew their temptations more than they did. He knew what they were ready for and what they weren't. And so it is with us. There are so many things in life that we think we're ready for, but God knows when we are. He knows when we're not, and he knows when we are. And so that is our first point today, is trust that God knows what you're ready for. Trust God knows what you're ready for. Sometimes it's with, it's with the right motive, right? We're go-getters and we want to go, 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 but we want things to be on, on, on our timing, right? We, we want the control. We want things done on our plans, on our agenda, but God knows better. Think of some of the ways that we might jump ahead of God. Maybe marriage or kids, retirement, homeownership, all these ways sometimes we think we want something that we think we're ready for, but God seems to be saying, wait, and we've got to trust it. I mean, you might even be able to look back on your life and see specific examples of ways you jumped ahead of him and it did something before you really were ready. Maybe it was homeownership, right? You cough up millions of bucks on a down payment for a house out here in California, and then you get into the house and your air conditioning breaks. And I guess if you have a million bucks to cough up on a down payment, you can probably afford air conditioning, but you get my point. Sometimes there are unexpected financial things that come our way that God knew we weren't ready for, but he did. But we didn't trust that he did, but he did know we weren't ready for it. We went ahead of him. Retirement, we might be anxious to retire, but God knows the perfect timing. And he gives us examples like this in the Bible, right? Think about people in the Bible who went ahead of God, who blatantly did what he said not to do and took it on their own timing to do it because they wanted it. Think of Eve. I don't know of a more severe example than Eve of someone who went ahead of God and did what she wasn't supposed to do in the timing that she wasn't supposed to do it. She wanted more wisdom. So she did exactly what God told her not to do and look how that turned out. Look at the ramifications for her actions and going ahead of God, huge. When I think of people going ahead of themselves, thinking they're ready for something they're not, I think of American Idol. <laughs> if, uh, if you don't know the show American Idol, it's the show that people come, they travel all over the country to audition to sing. They think they're ready to be the next star, right? And they walk up, they're all confident, and they just belt it out. And some of them, it's just like a clearly not calling from God. They're like, you just should not be here. You'll, you'll never see me on that show. But then there's some people that go up there, and the judges, they see things that they might not see that they're just not ready for. Right? They see certain tendencies they have or inflections or they need development in their vocal cords that they're just not quite ready yet for. And he tells them to come back. Right? The judges tell them to come back because they see things that the auditioner might not see. Well, luckily, the person judging what we're ready for isn't Simon Cowell or Katy Perry or Luke, Luke, I don't know. I don't even know who the judges are, but luckily, ours is God. Ours is God, and he knows everything about us. He knows every tendency that we have. He knows what we're ready for. He knows where we need to be developed before we do something. We have got to trust the God of the universe with his timing. 
Think about who God is just for a second. He's omniscient. He's so many things, but just in the sense of him being omniscient. That means he knows everything. Psalm 139.4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. I mean, even before we talk, the next word I say, he knows before I say it. That's wild. But yet sometimes we think we, mo we know better than him. We think we're smarter than him. Sounds so foolish, right? Just like we look at the Israelites and we think, what? Don't they get it? God has been faithful to lead them. What are they, what are they questioning? We do the same thing. We've got an omniscient God who knows better than you, who knows everything that's going to happen in the future. His timing is perfect. He knows what we're ready for. If God is making you wait for something right now, you need to trust that he knows why. That might be something different for all of us that we're waiting for, that we're anxious to have happen in our lives, whether it be to have kids or to get married or to own a home or to retire, or maybe it's moving to a different state or, or getting a certain job. We've got to see that there is purpose in the waiting. There is purpose in the waiting. And we see a really good example of this in Paul, right? Let's go ahead and turn actually to Philippians 1. Let's look at an example of this that we see in Paul I mean, Paul's in prison. I'm sure he, couldn't, he, he certainly wouldn't have mind being out of it, right? And I bet his intention to get out was to want to go share the gospel elsewhere. But, God, but Paul was really intentional to see that there was purpose in him still being in prison. So let's read together Philippians 1, verses 12 through 13. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He knew his imprisonment was for Christ. He had no doubts why God had him there, but he embraced it and he used it. He saw purpose in it and he sought to live that out. This weekend we had a uh, worship song, the Yes I Will, and these particular lyrics just stood out to me in preparing. It said, in the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. He's working all things out. And I don't dare sing that for you because I'm not going to be on American Idol. But think about those lyrics. In the waiting, in whatever you're waiting for, it's the same God who's never late. He's always on time. And he's working all things out. What a comfort that is for whatever it is we're enduring right now. When, like Paul, was the last time you looked really hard to see the purpose in why you're waiting? When was the last time? I mean, oftentimes we can look back and see why God made us wait for something. We go, oh, it made sense why I wasn't able to get that job then, or why God didn't move me, or why God had me stay in this ministry post. Whatever it might be, we saw that he had a purpose. But when have you proactively looked at whatever you're waiting for now to see God's got a purpose? God has a purpose. When I think of waiting, I think of my children, and I think a little bit about candy and fall fest, and I think about how just, what, two weeks ago, we had hundreds and hundreds of kids and thousands, if not millions, of pieces of candy, and my kids are tiny, and so they were actually more enthralled with all the rides and the ponies and the trains, so we didn't get that much candy, but in ratio to how small they are, we still ended up with a good amount. And it was the next morning when my daughter woke up at, say, 7 a.m., and Blake goes, Mommy, can I have a piece of candy? <laughs> I'm like, 
you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. And my son, I, I said, hey, go, go pack a stack for lunch. And he goes, can I just grab some candy? Just like five pieces of candy for my stack. And I said, no, you're, you're going to have to wait. And in their sweet little minds, they don't really comprehend why, right? They don't comprehend why. And in, in, in all reality, what difference is a piece of candy in the morning than it is at night? But you get it. <laughs> As, as parents, we know better. We know better than our kids, right? Well, just like we know better than our kids, our Father, He knows better than us. Our Father, He knows far better than us. And we might not always fully be able to comprehend it. We might not agree with it. We might not like it. But He knows better than us. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, you don't need to turn there, but it's a familiar one worth jotting down and referring back to. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We're not going to fully be able to comprehend why it is that we're having to wait, but we have to trust that he knows what we're ready for and when we're ready for it. All our job is to just trust his timing, right? Trust his leadership, trust his timing and the things that he asks us to do. Proverbs 3, 5 is one I'm sure you all have memorized, but another one worth remembering in these times of waiting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Don't try to figure it out. We're not going to always be able to understand it. We just have to trust him. It's that simple. When we pressed go, when we became a Christian and we pressed go, we committed to going we committed to following the GPS that God put us on. This GPS, think of it as God's path of sanctification. It's God's path of sanctification. That's the GPS that he has us on, is on a path and a route to sanctification. That is his purpose. And think about how much God sanctifies us just simply in having to wait, just simply in having to wait. Just like a child has to learn to grow to be patient in their waiting it's the same thing with us. He sanctifies us a ton when we have to wait. It grows our patience. It grows our dependence on him. When we're dependent on him, we pray more. When we pray more, we are sanctified. All of these things that God has us learning and, and the ways he has us growing more like his son is a result of us waiting and in that we should rejoice like Paul did. I think even just in the very uh, simple thought of praying for a loved one, right? You, try, you start growing impatient. You don't understand why they don't get it, but you are being sanctified in that process because you're praying, you're praying hard. You don't understand God's timing, but it's growing your trust in him. It is sanctifying, isn't it? But his timing's perfect. This is not our agenda. It's his, and we have got to trust it. Because like we do in Exodus, right? We read it, and we already know the beginning and the end, and so we read these stories all over the Bible, and we shake our heads at the way these people respond to God, and we're like, what is their problem? What? They're acting so foolish, right? God's got it. They're on the GPS of a sovereign God who knows everything. What are they complaining about? He's continued to prove himself faithful over and over again. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing, and I highly doubt that if someone were to write a book about our lives, that we, we would want them to look at us and say, what were they worried about? God, already, he's already determined the, the end. He's already promised us eternity. 
He's already promised us a life of sanctification for him, but yet we doubt him because it's hard. It's hard, but we already know that God's got it and we have got to trust him. Deuteronomy 31, 8, another one worth writing down. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It is the Lord who goes before you. He's already, he already knows what's going to happen. He will be with you. He's with you right now, whatever you're waiting for. He will not leave you or forsake you. We know that because he's promised us the Holy Spirit, right? Do not fear or be dismayed. What a comforting verse this is, Deuteronomy 31.8. We have to trust God to fulfill his plans and know that he goes with us to the destination. So let's see back in our passage how he shows this and how Moses trusted him. Let's go to verse 19 and see what it looks like for Moses to trust God. In verse 19 it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Wow. So he just was, he just was delivered out of Egypt, and he's having to carry the mummified body of Joseph with him to Canaan. But if we see back in Genesis 50, verses 25 through 26, this is where Joseph made the sons of Israel swear to him. Back then, he's, it said, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That is some seriously confident, that is some, seriously, like some serious confidence in God, isn't it? For him to be there and to know that God was going to fulfill his promise in getting them to the promised land so much that he wanted them to carry his bones so that he could have his remains be in the promised land when the resurrection occurred, that's some serious confidence. And Moses, just like Joseph, he was that much more confident because he's the one that actually carried them. He knew that God was going to get them there regardless of the path that God took them on. He knew that he was going to deliver. He knew that he was going to be there. And so he took Joseph's body with them on this journey to the promised land. Well, in the New Testament, it, it tells us that God's going to get us to our destination. And we say that we trust that. We say but we, we believe that. But really, no, he's promised us eternity with him. And he promised that we'd be on this road of sanctification and that we will bear fruit as a part of that road that he's taking us on. So we need to have a faith like Moses. We have to wholeheartedly believe in God's promises. And so that's my second point is wholeheartedly believe God's promises. Wholeheartedly believe God's promises. We live in a sinful world with sinful people. And so I can imagine that you have had a promise made to you broken before. Uh, you, you've probably even broken a promise yourself before. It hurts. It hurts to have our promises, our promises broken, right? It really, it makes it hard for us to trust people when we can't, when we don't know whether or not they're going to keep a promise. It's hard for us as sinners to keep promises, and it's really hard to trust people because we're not sure not whether or not they'll keep them. But look at what Numbers 23, 19 says. It says, God is not man, that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Thank God that God is not like man. He actually keeps his promises. When God says that he'll do something, he does it. We have to trust him for that. He proves himself over and over again in our lives to be faithful. 
He is a God who keeps his promises. Moses not, not only just wholeheartedly believed God, but we see it in his actions, right? He didn't just say it, he did it. He knew God was gonna deliver them to the promised land, and so he took Joseph's body with him. What a profound action and proof of his belief. It was back in Exodus 6 when the Lord said to Moses, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. It is so much easier to believe something when you trust that the person who's making the promise is reliable, when we can rely on it. When I first met uh, Kellen, we actually lived in New York, so we didn't have cars there, but when I visited him at home in Dallas, uh, his, his car was like an old, beat-up Jeep Commander, like the old ones that look like toasters, and he loved it. It was super sweet, but it, was, it looked like a toaster. It was a deep navy blue, but I joked that it was a little bit more ombre because, you know, the sun patches made it discolored. And he was a romantic, and he would take me to dates in downtown Dallas, but he wasn't able to be so romantic that he'd open the door for me because he had to push mine open from his, <laughs> from his driver's seat. But we'd go to dinner, and my favorite part, side note, my favorite part about this car is that super beat up, although he loved it, which is, he was so grateful for it, but when you got in, he had like a really snazzy sound system. <laughs> Because that was the cool thing in high school was to have the snazzy sound system. But we'd go to dinner and we really didn't know whether or not we were going to be able to get back in the car. It wasn't reliable and actually it started to become so unreliable that we didn't go further than certain distances. We started to take his parents' car when he would take me to dinner. But now, some of you know he's got one of the niftiest cars in all staff. It's um, about as big as he is. If he lays down, I think he might be longer than it. It's a little Chevy Bolt, and it doesn't make any noise when he drives it. And when you see him get out, you're kind of wondering how he got in. <laughs> but it's really spacious. But my point is, it's reliable. When we go to dinner, we know that it is likely to turn on, and it's so much easier to trust that we will get to our destination because we are driving in a reliable car. When we have something that rely on, it makes it easier to wholeheartedly trust in a promise. And we have a reliable God who always keeps his promises, and we have to remind ourselves of that. Think about the promise he makes in Romans 8, 28 through 29. Let's read there. Let's go there together and read Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 28 through 29. Let's read that, this promise. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, for those whom he and all, for, I'm sorry, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All things work together to good. That in itself, thinking about whatever it is that we're enduring right now, knowing that God is using it for good, such a comfort. And if we wholeheartedly believe that, that should change our response. That should change our actions, like it did for Moses. Moses believed enough to act on his promises, and so should we. I mean, think about how glorified God is just simply in our waiting. I mean, that doesn't seem like an act, right? Like we're not doing anything, but no, we are. We're patiently waiting, and we're waiting well, and that glorifies God. So sometimes just simply in the act of waiting, we are acting. We're acting on our belief that we, he will fulfill our, his promises, and sometimes it is acting, it's proactively doing something, it's, it's sharing the gospel, it's serving, it's going to the tech booth afterwards and saying, how can I help? I might be ill-equipped, but here I am, send me, right? It's trusting that God will be with us. 
And I love that Moses is the one who wholeheartedly believed, the one who doubted so badly. And here God has him being one of the most confident people in his promises. What an example to us. If we believe that God takes us to the destination, we must follow every turn that he asks us to take. So let's see what trusting God looks like practically back in our passage in verse 20. Let's go to verse 20 and read 20 through 22. It says, And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Ethan, Ethan on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of cloud of fire, in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And we might look at that and think, oh man, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? Doesn't seem real, right? It seems like something you'd see in a picture book that you're reading to your kids. But no, they had a pillar of cloud covering thousands of people into the, into the wilderness. They had at night this huge flame over their heads that was giving them warmth and directing them exactly where to go. And you might be thinking, man, I want one of those. It seems like it'd be so much easier to know where to go if I had a big flame over my head. But I guarantee, or I shouldn't guarantee, but I wouldn't be surprised if Moses said, you've got something so much better. You've got God's word and the Holy Spirit living in you. We've got something so much better than a pillar of cloud and fire. We've got God's word that he wrote us, and we have the spirit living in us. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's our pillar of cloud and fire. We've got a lamp, our feet. This is God's word, right? It's directing us. It's giving its guidance. A light to my path. It's directing us in the way in which God wants us to go. God uses the Holy Spirit to convict us, to prompt us, and to guide us to obey what he has revealed to us in the scriptures. And that is our daily goal, right? Is to obey the book that God has written to us and to do the things that he's asked us to do. So let's put it down this way for point number three. Be guided by the Holy Spirit's directions. Be guided by the Holy Spirit's directions. When you think of the Spirit, you, you, you try to figure out how it is that it's leading you. It's in God's book that he wrote. It's in the Bible. All the directions you need are in there. And when you became a Christian, I mentioned it dispatched God's word and the Holy Spirit to live in you to convict you and to prompt you to know how to follow those directions. I think we fail to realize that we have all the guidance and all the directions we need within those two covers. It is the God of the universe who wrote them through the Spirit. The same Spirit that wrote the Bible is the same Spirit that lives in you today. Whoa. I think we fail to realize that. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.14 together. 2 Timothy 3.14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We've got everything we need in the Bible. When you correct and discipline your kids, think about what you're doing. You're rebuking them. Reproof, that's rebuke. That's what the God's word does for us. 
correction, right? We're telling them what they did wrong. We're giving them a new line of thinking and how they're supposed to do that right. Training in righteousness, we're showing them the, the right way to go. God's word is showing us the Christ-like way to go. It's, it's preparing us for every good work. Literally everything we need is in the scriptures as we see in 2 Timothy 3.14 and it's breathed out by God through the Holy Spirit. Not by man, which in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, I'll go ahead and read for you guys. This is not man's work. This is through the Holy Spirit's thoughts. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God writing us a book, giving us directions. We must not take it for granted. We must depend on it. And two ways that he helps us to be obedient in this book is by conviction and promptings. The first one, conviction. Convictions make us feel bad when we don't obey his word. When you do something that you know you shouldn't do, you should feel bad. If the Spirit lives in you, that is a very telling thing that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You feel bad, feel more remorseful. You, you repent of the things you thought or the things you said or the things you did, right? Con conviction, it's, it's like a leash, right? It's kind of like a leash. It yanks our hearts back in line to where it needs to be. If you go on a walk these days, you see a lot of dogs and strollers, and if you go to Disneyland, you'll see a lot of kids on leashes. And, and we laugh, but if we, if we think about it, if we step in and we think about it, a mom keeps her child on a leash to keep them online, right? To, to keep them on the path that they want them on, to keep them from going in their own ways, right? To keep them out of harm's way. That's, that's the point. And, and while, you know, maybe our kids don't need a leash, we as Christians, we certainly need the leash of God's Spirit's convictions. We need that leash to just yank us back, to get us online, thinking good thoughts, thoughts that are focused on Him, focused on his promises, think about some way that you feel convicted. We should feel really convicted when we're anxious. It's a distrust in God, and it's hard, right? But we should feel that conviction. When we say careless words, we might be in a restaurant and overhear another family talking really carelessly and poorly to one another or screaming at each other, and we kind of shake our heads. They don't have the spirit to convict them, and that is really, really sad, and it should prompt us to pray. But when we do that, we should feel the conviction, and it should prompt us to do things that we, the way God, we know God is calling us to do them. It should yank our hearts back to where it should, pointing to his word. Outbursts of anger, we should feel bad about it. When we gossip, when we say slanderous things about other people, or we just doubt God, we should feel a conviction. That's the type of guidance God uses to whip us back to where we need to be. The other way that he helps to obey his book is by promptings, by promptings or affirmation, right? When we do things that the word of God tells us to do, we feel the affirmation after we've done it. You invite someone to church and it was really hard to do it, but then you see them come and you see that God has given you that affirmation that you're doing what he's telling you to do. But the spirit prompts you to do things, right? The spirit yanks at your hearts to do something and it is our job to be obedient to them. The, the promptings are what motivate us to obey his word. It motivates us, it pushes us, it gives us the nudge that we need. We have to depend on the spirit as our helper. 
Because our, our helper, the Spirit, is guiding us to do what is true. It's guiding us what God has revealed to us in scriptures. And all of this brings glory to God. That's enough motivation. The Bible and the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like a GPS, isn't it? It's, it's, you've got this external de- uh, these external directions, which is the Bible, and, this, and then this internal prompting, which is the Holy Spirit. God's word tells us what to do, and then the Spirit is our internal prompting of actually doing, of obeying what the directions tell us to do, like it would a GPS. Because remember, that GPS, it's God's plans of sanctification. It's got a purpose, it's got a meaning, Everything that God is doing in your life, the route that he has you on is to mold you more like his son. Just like it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5. I'll go ahead and read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We have everything we need in order to stay on the path that God has put us on, and he's promised to never leave us. When we think about that pillar of cloud and fire that the Israelites had, they had it 24-7. They had the cloud during the day, and they had the fire at night. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have God's word 24-7-2 to guide us along this path that he has us on at every point, at every second of our lives. We cannot forget to depend on it. We cannot forget to depend on it. Maybe some of you have um, seen pictures out there of this cargo backup. It's wild, right? I see pictures being posted on Facebook, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of all these cargos that are backlogged. And you you think about it, and you think, it's not that they forgot where they're going. It's not like their GPS had, you know, a glitch. No, they they know where they're trying to get to. They're eagerly trying to get there. But there's been a whole mess that's gone on in the last year and a half or two years that's been a consequence of why they're being stalled, right? It's being delayed because of the things that have happened in life. And sometimes that's what happens with us. And we see that in the book of Exodus, it's going to show us all these costly detours of disobedience that the Israelites have, right? They're on their way to their wilderness, but they're complaining and there's a lack of trust and it delays God's plans for them. It doesn't say that the GPS stopped working and it's not gonna get them there, but it's delaying because of their disobedience. And it is my hope and my prayer for you ladies that by trusting in God's timing, in his purpose, and in his promises, that we will stay on the path that he has for us, which is the path of sanctification. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for being a God who keeps his promises, for being a God who knows us better than we know ourselves, Lord, who knows what we're ready for and when we're ready for it, God. Thank you, Lord, for just your kindness in sending the Holy Spirit to help us, Lord, and sending us a book to direct us, to show us how to be obedient to the word that you have given us, Lord. I pray that as we depend on scripture and we read through your promises, Lord, that we never fail to wholeheartedly believe them. No matter what it is that you have us waiting for in this life, no matter what's not going according to our agenda, Lord, that we trust more in yours than we do our own, that we trust this path of sanctification you have us on, Lord, 
and we let you mold us more into the image of your son, God. I thank you so much for this study and how it's shaping us and challenging us and molding us, God. I pray for good discussions. We love you so much, God. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.